Welcome to the wonderful world of wine. We are your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone, exploring all things wine with you. You can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. Hello again, everybody, and thank you for joining us today on The Wonderful World of Wine. Every week, Kim and I get together to talk all things wine with you. We look at things that are trending, education, hot wine topics, whatever's new in the wine world, we find it and discuss with you. And today, uh, I think we have some good topics. How are you today, Kim? I'm well, thanks. How are you, Mark? Good. I almost forgot to say hi. <laughs> hi. <laughs> you know? Since we're not sitting side by side, you still do have to say hi to me. Yeah. this uh, We're still doing remote shows. And someday we'll soon be in the same room uh, sharing some wine. But that's right. We'll bring the bubbles. I'll bring the bubbles. Yeah. And a cake gonna, or something. <laughs> we're going to need it. We're going to need it. The year is going so fast. I the, know. the cold weather's here now. It's great time for wine, holidays. We're getting ready for the big bubbly day. So, uh, first thing I saw, Kim, was this article in Wine Business about survey of wine shoppers. As I know in the past, we've talked to our listeners about things we see. They survey people, what they're looking for. I thought there was, again, a lot of interesting stats they gave of what people think or what they're looking for when they're buying. Did, did one stick out to you you want to start with? Sure. I mean, we this is a topic that we have definitely touched on, probably talk about this maybe once every quarter or once every couple of months. You know, we look at these surveys, we look at statistics, we see price points and styles and who's buying what and where are they buying it. So we do like to keep up on this type of thing, like what is in the mind of the consumer, because we know that you, listener, are wine consumers and, and we kind of want to get in, in your head a little bit. So this particular survey article, what stood out for me was really the, I would say the simplicity of what consumers are looking for. So it's, I mean, we as wine professionals and as people who have dedicated our life to the beverage arts, I suppose you could say, we, you know, we think about these things all the time. So we have this depth of knowledge where we like to think about, you know, the soils and the regions and all these, you know, different, wonderful, cool, great varieties that are all out there. But for the general consumer, you know, not somebody who is wanting to spend $30 of bottlers looking for these hard to find things, for just the average wine drinking consumer who just wants something that tastes good. Really, it just comes down to a few simple things, which is what is the type of wine and what does it taste like? Like those are the two biggies, which sort of seems like that would just be common sense. But sometimes it is nice to sort of see it in writing that, yes, these are the things that people are looking for. Sort of the simplicity in knowing what they're getting just by looking at it on the bottle and am I going to like what it tastes like? Yeah, there's so much to, to follow up on with this, Kim, because like you said, people want to know what's the type of wine and what's the flavor of the wine. But a lot of times the flavor, if you told them, it doesn't really mean anything because it doesn't mean you're going to taste what, what I taste. So a good thing about this is we it always gives us kind of pointers of where to go when we're doing education. What do people want to know? So if they only want to know this very basic stuff and that's what they're buying on, we really have to focus more on the basics and then work up to say why are all these other things that 
you can find on labels and about wines are also important. So I think it's good information education wise. One of the things I thought was interesting, Kim, was they very few people want to know how it's being made or what the ingredients are. We've talked about ingredients a million times, but it surprises me that people just don't care about that, according to these surveys. I mean, very low percent, like only 41% of the people wanted to see ingredients or want to know what is in their wine. I'm so torn about this because I feel like there have been other studies that we've read that have said the exact opposite, that consumers nowadays are more concerned with what's in their wine if they're viewing all of these other foods through a little bit more of a lens and a focus of health and wanting to know what you're putting in your body and that it's starting to come around that wine is taking that same People are taking that same approach to wine and to beverages and to, you know, everything, whether it, even skincare and makeup and like that kind of stuff. And then we see a survey like this that says the opposite, that customers don't care about that. So I think this is a little hard for us to suss out what's the truth and what do consumers really want. And maybe it's just a matter of some consumers want it, some consumers don't want it, because obviously not everyone is going to be on the same page. So yeah, this one's a little, I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's hard. It's, it's hard funny for me. though, Kim, because we talk about this where we talk about finding things in the wine world where wine is, says wine is good for your health. And then we find things that say right. wine is bad for your health. We find things that say champagne is, is very popular right now. Then we find articles that say champagne is hurting and they're not putting out any. So this is just like all those other things where we find a totally mm -hmm. other viewpoint, but just so surprising with the whole fit thing and the clean thing going on in the wine world that only like 44% of people in this survey even cared about how the grapes were grown. But 44%, that's almost half. I mean, yeah, I still think that's low that people don't care what they're drinking. What's being used to grow those grapes, you know, not, not just the whole organic thing, but they don't care how it's made. And a lot of the stuff, it was just, they, did, they didn't want to know how it was made. Like 33% said they did not want to know how it was made. So to me, and this is what I want to ask you, Kim, do you think that most of those people are buying the big brand wines who don't even put out that information? Is that I would, the think, I would think most likely that it's that information isn't on the bottle anyway, so it hasn't necessarily caused those people to take that next step and think about it. So if you never are going to see that on the labels of the wines that you buy, then it might not be front of mind for you to even think that this is a question that you should be asking, right? Yeah, so that this is why I want to circle back now, because then, then it makes total sense because that's 90% of the wine being sold is the is you know the big corporate brand so it makes sense if they're not putting out that information people don't they're not finding it so they don't care about but i wonder how much of it too is i mean especially for people who are maybe only occasional wine drinkers where wine is like a special treat or a special indulgence that they're not going to necessarily go through the effort of looking at kind of the backstory of that wine where, you know, it's, this is something special that I, I only have a few times a year. So therefore I'm not, you know, it doesn't matter to me just the every kind day. of where it's it comes something. from, because this is just, yeah. you know, a special indulgence. It's like, if you're buying a really, I don't know, fancy, expensive chocolate, are you really going to care? Right. <laughs> right. That's very, that's right. kind of flip of me, but no, no, what, you know that so, kind of thing. I guess. What, a, what about the point they made, Kim? That said, forty percent of the people say buying wine is difficult. That to me 
stood out as something that wineries and winemakers should look at out of all these stats they, they talked about, how they're buying, because people just seem confused. And what are we doing as educators, as, as wine brands, as winemakers to make your wine stick out, to go after the people who feel wine is just overwhelming. But I don't know how much education one particular wine brand can do to necessarily win over those people. I don't think it's that one wine label is going to educate a consumer where suddenly they feel comfortable with it. I think that this is a a industry-wide or a wine problem that consumers do think that wines are confusing and wine labels are confusing. And even frankly, for me, like if I didn't have all of the experience that I had behind me, and even sometimes when I do, if I walk into a store that has literally hundreds of wines on a shelf in front of me, I get the deer in the headlights thing too. And I can only imagine how difficult that is for people who don't know what they're looking at. Like it's like, uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, if I go into that. the if I go into a, a store that sells replacement car parts, <laughs> I'm just really yeah. like, I don't yeah. know what any of that is, and I'm so confused. And I know that it's that way with wine for so many people. It's overwhelming and it's intimidating and it's a little scary. I'm glad you said that to our listeners, Kim, because there are times where I get so frustrated with myself because I'll see something like, why did I never see like see this, or why is that confusing to me? I should know that. Mm-hmm. And and it brings up that it, it is a very intimidating thing to buy if you don't know like a lot of the basics. But even if you do know the basics, it can get really out of control. So I'm glad you feel the same way as me about that. And and our listeners understand that it, it can be confusing. Yeah. And, and people don't want to be let down. You know, you don't want to buy something that you're not going to like. You don't, you're going to feel like you're wasting your money and you're going to feel, frankly, probably a little bit embarrassed that you didn't know what you were doing. And and then that kind of makes the whole cycle repeat itself. I mean, I feel like what we do or we try to educate the public, we do in little snippets, you know, so hopefully over time, people get a little bit more comfortable and we'll like recognize terms and we'll know what to look for on a wine label. But I don't know how one individual winery or one individual wine region can do to make that easier on the consumer. Right. We know that wine tasting terms are difficult for people because it yes it's english but it's still like not necessarily translating in people's minds and some things just sound snobby and some things are just te- technically very confusing and people don't understand what they are so it's a conundrum yeah and the wine industry is always trying different things to mm-hmm. to make it more understandable or easy to purchase they they came up with you know sweetness scales and QR codes, and then they mentioned wine apps where they they give you these tools to help you. But then in this article, they were saying like a wine app or the technology to help you, only like 19% of the people even care or use them. So the tools that that are out there- I think yeah, going that extra step, it, you know, we'll lose a lot of people if you have to get out your phone and yeah. you know, pull up the QR code app and take a picture of it and then, you know, do that research. That's a lot of extra for people who just, you know, you want to make a decision in like 30 seconds. Right. And that's a lot of extra. It's already confusing. And then you're adding all this other things and technology to add more on your plate. And all I want to do is pick out a nice bottle of wine, right? It's, <laughs> why is it so difficult? Yeah. We're sorry, well, consumers out there. Yeah. We know that it's a difficult thing. And they also said, Kim, only 20% of the people purchasing followed anything about online recommendations. So 
we, you know, I'm always looking at things online and I kind of go look for some guidance on things that are hot or trending on a recommendation online, but it doesn't seem like people use that. I would have loved to have seen some sort of stat about if people shop and purchase based on the marketing material that's on the shelf, you know, the shelf talker, because that's pretty much the online recommendations in print Mm -hmm. on the shelf. So I would have liked to have seen that, but it was interesting. They don't really follow online recommendations. And we also don't know who necessarily were the people that were being uh, surveyed for this. So it could be that they just didn't survey the types of people who do use those online recommendation things. So people who are a little bit more wine savvy tend to want to know a little bit more. And so we'll use those apps and we'll do a little bit of research. And they're the kind of person who wants to go to a wine club class or, you know, attend a tasting or something like that, then they will already be primed for wanting to know more information. So I have a feeling that this was more the casual wine drinker or someone who just buys wine maybe a, a few times a year like not a regular wine purchaser. Yeah, but, but I, was, I don't really it, think we can tell from this. No, they but they showed that 20% didn't care about only 20% cared about online recommendations. Then they followed that up with 50% of the people want to know about rate, which I thought was interesting. If they're not following the online, but they would, and it, which is basically what you're getting online. The, the yeah, rating. but a rating is an easy way for you to know, like, yeah. is this a good wine or is this a bad wine? Like, it doesn't take a whole lot of interpretation of so, yeah. tasting so, notes and recommendations and things like that. It's like, bam, this got a 92. All right, it's going to yeah. be okay. <laughs> All right, so you're saying the recommendation would be some long description of the yeah. wine, whereas yeah, whereas points, a n- like a number is a number. Yeah, that makes total sense. And I think that's- Or, or like, you know, how many stars or whatever. So, yeah. I mean- yeah, and a lot we can of times argue, we can argue all put. day long about the is the pros and cons of having a rating system, but at the end of the day, you know, if you can, it's almost like you know the number is distilling all of those things and putting them in there, and that might be right or that might be wrong. But if a consumer looks at that and it has a ninety whatever on there, that makes it so much easier for that person to at least say, okay, I know nothing about this wine, but somebody else thinks it's a ninety three, I'm going to buy it, and I'm going to feel confident that. I'm putting my money behind this thing. And a lot of times they'll mock it, just put that rating on the label and they won't put what it tastes like on the label. So <laughs> right. <laughs> it, it kind of leads towards what you just said. I mean, that's why they do it. So any other things you you saw in this article, Kim, you thought uh, we should tell listeners about or interesting? No, no, I, just, I thought that it was, I actually thought that it was a, a positive that consumers recognize the names of the types of wines, whether the the region it's from or the grape variety that it's made of. I think that it, that is a really good starting point because it gives you something to build off of. We're always working on the terminology for flavor and taste, and those things are always changing. But I was impressed that the third most important indicator on a label that the customers were looking for was where is it produced. So I feel like putting all of those the three things together is things that we as wine educators can use to um, hopefully make it a little bit easier for consumers uh, and our consumers specifically. Talking about the label kit, what do you think about only 25% of the people care about the alcohol level? That doesn't surprise me at all. I don't care people, about the alcohol level, a lot of frankly. People, yeah, a lot of people don't even know it's there. I mean, yeah. they know there's alcohol in it, but you know, 12%, 13%, I don't care. Yeah. It tastes good, no. you know? It's the geeky people like us that say, whoa, this has got a lot of alcohol in it. And then, then we look at the label, right? I mean, yeah, I mean, I'll only look f- for that for certain things. But frankly, I don't really like if I want to buy a bottle of Pinot Noir 
honestly, I'm not looking at the alcohol content. I don't even look at it for whiskey. <laughs> like yeah. that, that's uh. something that I should do. But, but um, the only thing that I pay attention to it for is Riesling so that I can kind of determine how dry or how sweet is it going to be or rosés. But other than that, I mean, if it's not on my radar, I can't imagine it's on a lot of other right. people's radar. Well, that's good. Then it goes along with the survey. So there we good. go. Yeah. You're listening to The Wonderful World of Wine, and we are your hosts, Mark and Kim. You can find more information about Mark on his website, which is franklinliquors.com, and more information about myself at vinitaswineworks.com. And as always, you can find our show on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. Welcome back again, everyone, to The Wonderful World of Wine. Mark and I are talking about five reasons not to age those wines you just bought at the store. This is a good segue from our uh, our previous little bit about what consumers are looking for when they're buying wines. And sometimes, you know, you hear that fine wine wines improve with age, but for a lot of wines, they're, you know, really not meant to be put down. They're meant to be enjoyed almost immediately after you buy them, which I guess has has some ups and has some downs. I have to bring it up again, Kim, and I know you always laugh at me when I say this stat, but they say 90% of the wine that is purchased, I believe it's 90%, maybe more, that is purchased is consumed within two hours of that purchase. So Two hours? Two hours. So Who's shopping that close to You're going out time? to buy a bottle and then you're <laughs> drinking it within two hours. And in the stat in this article said 95% of the wines released are ready to drink. So not, not within two hours, but they're saying a good percentage of the wines you see on the shelves, they're made to be consumed right now and not to be stored or put away for future drinking. Well, but ready to drink means this is not going to be terrible if you pop open the the bottle right. right now. It doesn't right. mean it's not going to be better in five years. It just means that if you open it now, you're not going to want to dump it down the sink because it's too tannic and it tastes terrible. And very rarely do you you have a wine shown to you with a say, it's we're releasing it, but we don't think it's ready to drink right now. I mean, you, you have your, your yeah. Barolos and your Nebbiolo, your, your heavy wines of Italy, tannic stuff where you can drink it now, but really it's prime in a few years down the road. So I think that number is accurate that I think it's got to be pretty close. I mean, I I always tell people and I feel like this has been something that all of my years of tasting and drinking has sort of borne out that wines that are say $25 and under drink them as soon as you want to like none of the not to say that none of those are going to improve with age, but most if not all of those wines, you shouldn't be worried about drinking them now. So I mean, as we've seen from past shows, and we've looked at the numbers that the vast majority of wines that are being purchased by people are in that under $25 price range. So I guess this makes sense. Oh, yeah. I just want to remind our listeners that wines, be it white or red, if they're aged, there are wines you can age them. They're not bad wines. They're just a different profile. We mentioned mm-hmm. this to our, our listeners a lot. Uh, it might not be that fresh fruit that you got when you first bought it, but it, it's not going to hurt you, but it's definitely going to change how it tastes over time. Right. And I think that that's a good point to, you know, to bring up on occasion is that not only does aging a wine not always mean that it's improving the wine, but that you kind of need to understand that the longevity of a wine and the development of a wine is always on a spectrum. So 
you know, you might have a bright, fresh white wine now and you bought three bottles of that and you, you know, stuck a few in your liquor cabinet or somewhere else in your house and you open one bottle of it next year, another bottle of it the next year after that. They're not going to necessarily be, like you said, bad for you, but they're, you're going to notice differences and you might like them a little bit better after one or two years, whereas someone else might like it, you know, bright and fresh, right purchased from the store. So it's not just when is this wine hitting peak drinkability, but also how do you like it? You know, it's interesting. A lot of the wine writing that we have and a lot of the wine history that we have is all coming from a, a British perspective back in the UK when a lot of this writing was done, you know, a hundred years ago or more. And it seemed that these old English dudes really liked the flavor of wines when they've started to go downhill. That's not necessarily the way that we like our wines to taste anymore. So this whole idea of, you know, wines have to age for a certain amount of time before they are at the the peak perfectness of drinkability is something that I, I don't really feel like holds true for the vast majority of wines that are out there these days. Yeah. And you brought up that peak, you know, the drinking period a lot of wines when they're reviewed, a lot of the reviewers will say this wine is good till this time, it'll peak at this time. And you can also find that information on the vintage chart. So every year they have a vintage mm-hmm. chart and they'll say, well, this vintage was a great vintage or you know, it was a bad vintage. So it'll give you a timeline, any wine made during that vintage when it should be drunk. So that's a very broad guide for you say the vintage was good, so the wine should last or it shouldn't last. And that helps you with the aging and taking the guessing out of drinking that aged wine. Yeah. So that's what a else? good like first or second step, like checking out those vintage yeah. charts and and figuring out from that, like, oh, overall, these wines are supposed to be able to age for a certain amount of time. But it does come down to those individual bottles and those individual producers. So what I have to ask you, Kim, because I read this article and I wrote down a bunch of notes, but I didn't get, I didn't write down any five reasons. Did they specifically say five reasons? It was more, I thought it was more broad, you know, that they seem like winemakers may be releasing things a little earlier now. I couldn't put my finger on five either. Usually when they're, when this is one of those articles, I'll put, you know, like little bullets (laughs) between on my notes, like one, two, three, four, five, but it's not. I just have like free form form notes on this one. So I completely agree with you. It said five points, but there was really no five (laughs) points. I'm so happy to hear you say that. I felt, I felt so bad of like, oh no, the whole article said five points and I don't have any points. I think I maybe have four in my notes here. <laughs> well, the, I mean, the gist of it was, are they releasing things earlier? Why are they releasing things earlier? Because they, they don't age mm-hmm. as long. So they're thinking the stuff out there now, you don't want to age it because the winemakers feel you don't want to age it. But bottom line is some wines- Because will- the winemaking has changed. Right. Yeah. And, the, and honestly, the people like the wines to drink sooner. They don't like that age profile as much. Like you said, s- certain countries love that style, or but the percentage of people that do, I think, is very low or understand the aged wines is very yeah. low. Is that a fair point? Yeah. Well, we did that one class where we did a comparison between young wines and aged wines and where people, when they can, could 
do a comparison between young and old, I think that um, people were able to appreciate the nuances of those older wines. But if you just had that all on its own and it wasn't what you were expecting, like you were, if you were expecting this, you know, big, berry, spicy, rich, bold Malbec, and you got this thing that was brown and tasted like dates and figs and dried spices and stuff like that, it's not what you would be expecting from a Malbec. You might think that, oh, this is a bad wine or this has gone bad. I think it's a completely different flavor profile that, frankly, a lot of people don't have experience with. And so don't know that this is what happens when a wine gets a little bit older. It's not bad and some people love it, but this is just the, you know, the natural aging process of this wine. And especially with white wines and with sparkling wines. I had an older bottle of champagne a couple of weeks ago, but because it was a non-vintage champagne, you didn't know just by looking at the bottle that it probably had been sitting around for a while, but we popped it open and I I smelled it and I tasted it. I'm like, okay, this has been in the bottle for a little while because it definitely had what I know are the notes of age on it. But if somebody else didn't know about it and they were expecting something light and fresh and they got that, they might feel like, Ooh, like, I don't know that this is good or not. So sometimes it's really hard to tell. Yeah. And on that point, Kim, you might have a bottle of wine that's been aged for a while. And then you might think now bad of that brand because you had their Mm -hmm. aged wine and not their recently released wine. So that can work. Or a whole style. You might feel like, oh, I don't like, you know, whatever, because, you know, you had one bad experience with it, which which can be unfortunate. One of the things I wanted to bring up, Kim, that I mean, this was a Forbes article and and they mentioned about uh, some winemakers maybe releasing earlier or what they call declassifying their wine. So where I see this coming into play again is like in Italy, instead of making a Barolo or something of aging their Nebbiolo, they declassify it. So they lower the rating on it, the government rating, and they release it as just a Nebbiolo. So it's released earlier because sometimes they need to generate some funds or get some money into the winery. So you might think that that style should be something you age a little longer, but it's actually not been aged on their end for Mm -hmm. a long period of time. So it's fresher. So I thought that was a good point to say that's why you wouldn't age that type of wine as long as they're their other style of wine. And we might be seeing a little more of this going forward because I know that this is an issue that a lot of Italian producers are seeing right now because of COVID where they are not selling as much wine. So therefore they have a lot of backstock and they need the room. Like they literally need the room at their winery. So they might be declassifying their wines and, you know, putting them in bottle maybe a year before they ordinarily would and calling them something else and, and shipping them off. And it's a good thing. You know, that might be something that we might be seeing in a year or two. It's a good thing for the consumer because it leads to a lower price point wine of, uh, you know, some great, it's the same grape, but lower price point. And it's, it can be a good value if you yeah. love that. And then you get to experience what those grapes are all about. You know, ordinarily you might not want to splurge on a 50, $60 right. bottle of something from the Piedmont. Right. Thank you for joining us today on the wonderful world of wine. We've been your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone, exploring all things wine with you. You can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. We'd love any questions or comments you may have. And you can find our past episodes on SoundCloud or iTunes. Cheers. Bye, bye, bye.